Ready. Hey. Just in the middle of the field, 45, 50. Greengrass in front of him, leaving Lions in his way. I am Jeff Joniak. Blitz is on. Down he goes. Brisker. What was it like playing for Coach Dicka? Uh, I don't want to answer any questions like that. 61 yards. Ooh. A Sunday stroll for Justin Fields. Now, Bears, etc. with the voices of the Chicago Bears, Jeff Joniak and Tom Fitton. Day two of Bears training camp in the summer heat. Fans and sponsors enjoying after a Wednesday indoor practice, the outdoors. And boy, it was hot. Talked to a couple of players, including TJ Edwards, said he lost six or seven pounds in this heat. And my partner on Bears, etc. today, episode two. Mr. Tom there knows all about that. Uh, if you were practicing in that heat today, and I know you and I watch practice from upstairs. We had other commitments, but we watched uh, indoors, so we weren't sweating it out today. How many pounds would you lose in a given day at pr- um, training camp? You know, in a no-pad practice, I would probably lose 10 to 12. If I was in a fully padded, full-go practice, I would probably lose closer to 18 or 19 pounds. No way. But the the same weight I lost, it would be gained. It would be gained back by the time we went to practice through just the continuously putting uh, fluids in your body and the food you get to eat. But you know, you know, when the coach talks about developing a callousness of a team, this is how you do it. It's not making it easier on them. It's making it harder on everybody because everybody that goes in that locker room, they got something to complain about. But you're all complaining together. It's not a negative complaint it's a positive team building complaint because it's so freaking hot i gotta go back to that though so you're telling me your weight could fluctuate 19 or 20 pounds in a given practice seriously you could you could go back into the analogs of the chicago bears because we weighed in and out of every single practice every single day and they kind of monitored that and i it would be kind of a not a contest, only a contest with yourself. Cause you go, okay. At, I weighed 283 when I went out to practice. Now after practice, I weigh 271, but then you weigh in the next morning before practice yeah. and you're 283. You know, it's, it's, it is the fluctuation of the water that escapes your body. And then there's no time in your life. That's more fun to eat. Yeah. Right. <laughs> where you can just, eat as much as you possibly can well and they still do that they they test uh, their weight and make sure what it is in and out because they're very mindful of it and that's been a big big part of the sports science in, in this building and throughout the national football league so it was just something interesting to me that seems like such well, a large number my gosh I, I wish i was so fortunate tom let me just tell you a funny story at the end of my career so as an uh, as a player we have a thing that we wear and it's called a girdle and it's a pat it's a piece of equipment that you pull on that you used to put pads in and it's kind of um it's it's a girdle that's what it is so when i went down to miami i had such a hard time holding my weight because it was 100 degrees every day and i was losing weight and so every thursday every friday we had a weigh-in day where they had this guy that stood right next to you and chartered your weight and so when I went down to Miami, I would wear a girdle and then I would stick a 10 pound right. plate in my girdle <laughs> and I would go in there and I, and I remember the guy saying, 
He goes, damn, you're a thick guy for how skinny you look. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, that would set off alarms, right? Well, you know, yeah, might well, have to well, put somebody you know, else in there a little sturdier. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, and that's, again, at the end of the season in Miami, in those circumstances, now these guys have a couple days really to fight through, but I think it's a really important part of the team building. Game day snacking calls for good foods. Chunky guacamole made with... Haas, avocados, tomatoes, onions, cilantro, and a squeeze of lime juice. It's the perfect snack to watch while the Bears win. Score some today at your local grocery store. Game day is guac day. And day two had a lot of excitement that brought with it. You know, we'll we'll recap the first two practices, actually. First one was indoors uh, because of the weather and the um, air quality problem. So fans were not able to come on um, the first day. But, you know, one thing stuck out to me outside of the obvious and that's DJ Moore and the connection with Justin Fields and the deep ball and their connection but the attitude of the defense Tom fiery uh they, they it didn't take much to get them excited indoors and it was you know it's a close quarter so you really feel them and it's it's across the board the young guys getting into it and uh, break up a pass bam they're getting they're getting excited loose ball on the field they're scooping and trying to score getting excited same thing happened at practice again today that defense is coming in hot right now in terms of their attitude and how they approach things. I, I'm really impressed with that aspect of it. And, of course, the the QB1 and, and DJ Moore wearing number two on your Bears jersey, that's getting a lot of ink right now. Yeah, you know, one thing about the defense, uh, the defensive football players, how they're, how they're running around, they're kind of an extension of the coaches that they have. Because this is a high-energy group of defensive coaches that have that expectations of whatever segment they're coaching. So it's nice to see a reflection of the coaches on the practice field. And you get those results of knocking down passes, creating some fumbles, and trying to do what you're supposed to do as a defense. And then on the offensive side of the ball, yeah, it's this, this team is all about growth, recognition, familiarity. Uh, making sure the different segments that are growing together become familiar with each other. So when you do hit this thing running at the start of the regular season, everybody's on the same page. And certainly there's we're, – we're, and you mentioned it today. We're going to talk every single day about Justin Fields. And every day can't be uh, a referendum on, on wh- whether or not he's going to be a superstar or a great starting quarterback or not in the National Football League. And I know it's important for you to evaluate every single pass, including, you know, why it was or wasn't completed. And and that can also bear fruit if it doesn't work, right? So, you know, you go back to the drawing board, you adjust, and you get in the same page with your receiver. Because there were some drop passes, there were some off-target throws, and they're always going to have that. Uh, but everybody's trying to chart every single step in the process. That comes naturally with the quarterback position. You know, it seems like every single play, run or pass, we always look at timing and tempo of the play and then the result of the play. But when you're watching a quarterback as much as we watch uh, Justin and how much we pay attention to every one of his reps, I'm not going to I'm I'm not going to be critical of an incompletion. Just like sometimes yeah, you make an easy completion and that's the way the play is drawn up. 
But I like the fact sometimes there's an incompletion as a result of Justin moving his eyes, changing his sight line, having trust in his arm, having faith in the receiver can catch a, a late notification of, of a pass. So um, it's going to be interesting. And listen, man, this is day two. Yeah. You know, when we're talking in day 14, 15, when we're doing this podcast, when they're practicing it against Indianapolis, there's going to be a whole different narrative to how we talk about him day by day. Well, you know, we met the fine folks from uh, PNC Bank and some of their clients today in the viewing suite over the practice field. Those are always fun for us. We could tell stories, take questions. And, you know, there is a lot of questions about, you know, where is Justin's development? Where is he at? And a comparison comes up every single time. And you know how I feel about it. You know, they want to make a comparison to Jalen Hurts all the time. Year two uh, was big for Jalen Hurts, but year three was bigger. Uh, Justin Fields, year two was big, became a a big name because of his legs and some of the big throws he made, but dynamic runner. We know he's got that in his hip pocket to get him out of any kind of trouble or if he sees an instinctual time to take off and go, go and make a big play. But everything can't be a comparison to what happened just recently. I know it's easy to do. People like to bring that up because he did have a takeoff year and he had A.J. Brown coming aboard, just like the Bears now have D.J. Moore aboard. How do you frame that, and how do you look at that discussion and those improvements towards somebody like a Jalen Hurts? Well, you you look at the Philadelphia Eagles. They spent quite a bit of time building up this roster underneath Jalen to make sure when he got to where they think he can get to, he's going to have a dynamic supporting cast to work with. That's number one. But when you look at the comparisons between Justin and Jalen, first of all, it's the template of each other. They look very similar. They're both great athletes. They both have a tremendous arm strength. To me, I still think... Justin probably has the upper hand in just natural long ball accuracy. That's the one element of his game I wish and I hope that he can thrive on more with the receivers as they're developing. Um, And then because of Luke Getze here two years in a row, same terminology, and I keep talking about that because this is not – terminology that you want to memorize it's terminology that you want to know like your second language and that's where Justin has to be able to improve in the knowledge of the system to how it best fits the play called you know I had a conversation with Darnell Mooney uh, yesterday and we got into a little bit about his rehab and how he's coming along and and what that journey was like we're going to get into that a little bit later here in the program but you know, on, on what the goals are. And he said, well, win, but, you know, bombs away. They, they want to put the ball in the air. And he goes, we are not messing around. That was the quote that stuck with me about Darnell. We are not messing around. That wide receiver room and that relationship with Justin Fields and the work that's already been put in and the work that Justin expects his receivers to put in even after practice with him. It's important. He, he, he needs that. And they need him in that regard. And that is something that Justin and Mooney started last year, the year before, working together after practice, last two guys off the field. Well, you know, every quarterback receiver could probably echo those same words that we want to go deep and we want to go deep often. But what's happening on your line of scrimmage? Are you getting the protection that you need in order for the receivers to get in a winning pace uh, versus the defensive back they're facing? Are you running the ball successfully enough with enough influence that you can have play action pass that gets defenses 
totally off balance where you can take a, a, a chance, a, take a um, shot at a guy that's peaking in the backfield. So, you know, with you look at those receivers out there and from EQ St. Brown to Claypool to Darnell to DJ and all the other guys, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm going to leave guys out because there's so many guys out there. There's a lot of speed out there. So if you can develop everything that you need on the line of scrimmage to help you be that attacking downfield football team, Listen, man, you got the quarterback that has the arm and he's willing to throw it. Yeah, they got a combination of a basketball team and a track team. And you got to put Tyler Scott in there because when the ball's in his hands and I saw him return a, a couple of punts, uh, he can hit the gas. The rookie out of Cincinnati, he's got some speed. So all yep. that together, there's a mix and match uh, as we bring you the Bears, et cetera, podcast. Episode number two with Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak, United Airlines, official airlines of the Chicago Bears. All right. I was in the cafeteria today, Tom. Ran into a... Surprise! (laughs) (laughs) I I get next to somebody that that we both know and respect, and I say, can I buy you a cup of coffee? It's Cole Komet. And he got a big smile on his face. So 50 games into his NFL career, he's got a $50 million contract. Uh, The numbers look great for him uh, for a job well done over the course of growing in his first three-plus years now in the National Football League. This is year four, and they still see a high ceiling for this guy. Uh, But you know what really struck him? And he is a humble guy. He is. We've gotten to know him. We've done many events with him outside of the building, and he's just classy, mature, and you know, he reminds me a lot of you, honestly, uh, as a guy that just respects playing in that uniform for the Chicago Bears growing up here. But you know what struck him, and I want to ask you more about this from your perspective, is that what he wasn't really mentally ready for was the reaction he got in the locker room. Guys just genuinely happy for him. His position coach, Jim Dre, emotionally happy for him. And uh, when the guys, as they say, the, you know, the kids today, they say the, the players today, they get the bag, the money bag, right? Well, he got the bag, and everybody's happy for him. And I think it sends a, a larger message because there haven't been many guys in the last five, six years that have earned a second contract. Eddie Jackson was the previous one in 2017 after a great season. But it has not happened very often. Cole Komet is the next guy. Since that time, more guys are going to be looking, and that is a mission for Ryan Poles. He met the media briefly today, Tommy, up here, and and echoed that again. He said that when he got the job, he'd like to reward his own, and this is the first one for him. Uh, Your reaction to all of that and what it means, as a former player who saw guys get contract extensions every other year during your time with the Bears. Listen, our time with the Bears, it was a different collective bargaining agreement. It was more of a struggle of negotiation. There was never that generational wealth player that got rewarded for his lifetime and lifetime of his kids. And so it was kind of a different battle back then. But I super envy these guys that have the opportunity to get rewarded for all the effort they've put in since they've been playing peewee football or peewee baseball or any sport that you played growing up in just the development of your athleticism and where was it going to lead you to. Um, and so I'm excited for Cole. I'm excited for his family. He comes from a football family with his dad and his uncle and everybody else um, aboard. And, hey, it, it just – I think it's significant message inside that locker room. If you pay attention to the details, you put in the effort that's expected of you, that you're going to have a chance to 
be rewarded handsomely for your investment in yourself. Yeah, well, yeah, people say it energizes the locker room. And yeah. it, it is because, you know, if you don't back it up, if you don't back up, it's just lip service, right? So you got to back it up. As a general manager, Ryan Poles is following through on everything he says he's going to do and what he wants to do. And that's a great first step. Everybody notices. And what I like about it is, is in the, inside the locker room when I was playing with some really, really close people to me that I developed more than a football friendship with, I saw them go through real struggles in their negotiation. And, you know, that's kind of a difficult message to bring down to the locker room. Then some other guys are concerned about it. So when you talk about, uh, you know, Cole for what he's been able to earn and how it lights up the locker room, it does. It's, it sends a great bright message to, like I said, everybody about their work habits and what they're, you know, how they're going to be rewarded if they do it right. All right, a bit of a quiz for you. So your head coach and Hall of Fame Chicago Bear Mike Ditka, uh, of course, helped revolutionize that position. Uh, Of course, you look to guys like John Mackey and and some great tight ends over the history of the National Football in the early days, but I believe Ditka was the first to go to the Hall of Fame at the tight end position. Uh, And thank God he didn't follow his uh, other pursuit. He wanted to be a dentist, as you might remember, at the (laughs) University of Pittsburgh. I just find that hard to believe. Pulling teeth. Uh, he guys made you pull your own teeth. Uh, however, name the only other tight end to make the Pro Bowl since that time in the 1960s from the Chicago Bears. Wow. Um, Parsons. Bob, Bob Parsons? Parsons? No. As, as, a, as a potter? Yeah, yeah, no. Martellus no, Bennett. Oh, he no made kidding. it. He made the Pro Bowl in 2014. And that was a free agent signing, of course. But then a year later, he was no longer a Chicago Bear. But that, that is something that, you know. Alternate or did he make it? He made the Pro Bowl. Yes, he made the okay. Pro Bowl in 2014. However, there's something about, like, you and I both love the running game. We're always going to love the running game. We love, we love the, the, the play in the trenches with the offensive line. And I've always loved safeties, and I love tight ends. And it's been a long time. I believe Cole has Pro Bowl potential. And I believe that not because of the money that's attached to his name now. I just see him stair climbing. He's still only 24 years old. It'll be November, I believe, or March. Pardon me, then he'll turn 25. So he's still a young player that's going to be in a system now for a second straight year. And like Justin Fields and the rest of them, I believe he has that potential. Now, how that works, you know, this league with Travis Kelsey is, is the gold standard, obviously. Uh, of the type of tight end, George Kittle, the type of tight end is going to garner a lot of attention, a lot of yards, and a lot of touchdowns. But I'm not putting anything past Cole. No, you know, I, I think this tight end room has the beginnings of a really positive atmosphere in kind of a young building tight end room that's gaining experience and it has some experience from Robert Tunyon and stuff from other successful organizations. So, and I think that what they can contribute to the line of scrimmage, whether they're spread out wide or in a blocking position from H back to fullback to tight end or backside, they have the qualifications to do everything. And Cole uniquely enough is qualified to do every one of those jobs. All those other guys, they're they're good at something, 
but Cole is good at everything that's asked out of a tight end. Score huge savings on an impressive lineup of items with Jewel Osco for you. This handy app features hot digital deals on everything from premium produce and savory snacks to butcher fresh meat and more. Get additional details at jewelosco.com. Jeff Joniak, Tom Thayer, welcoming you to version two of the Bears Etc. podcast. Had a couple of folks already uh, enjoy it big time. They, they love your sense of humor. They love your storytelling. So, you know, we'll continue on that regard because, you know, the funny thing is, and I was on Waddle and Sylvie yesterday on ESPN 1000, our new flagship home for the Chicago Bears, and uh, Waddle asked where you were. And I said, well, that one's my fault. I, I told him to turn around and go back home because practice was going to be indoors with no pads. Storms were brewing, and I knew it wasn't a good idea for you <laughs> to come up here. And and that's not your bag, right? Like you love watching practice, but you know it's just not your thing. Uh, but the well, the big wait the big was, reason wait the big reason was, oh, wait ahead, the, wait ahead, the big sorry. the big reason was the air quality, and, and you were scoffing at that, right? Because. <laughs> Back in the day, do you think you had days in Platteville, Wisconsin, when the temperature spiked that you had practice wiped out because of poor air quality? No. No. So, you know, it's kind of funny. Back in the day of transist- transistor radios, so we want, we had a transistor radio plugged into the back where everybody used to line up to get their ankles taped. And they always had a 6.30 a.m. farm and agricultural report. And so they would say, okay, this is the temperature. This is how you should treat your livestock. So once we had a week, it was about 105, 101 for the whole week. And they have these livestock warnings out in the farm country to somehow cool your cattle down, keep them covered, and try to get cold blankets over your horses and stuff. And so we kind of used to listen to that and chuckle. And then as we're out there, we're out there stretching, you would have the guys that could yell with confidence, hey, did ya? They ain't even letting the cows out of the barn today. What the hell are we doing out here? And you can know that it's guys like Bing and Hap and stuff like that that can get it done. Well, and and being the sweater that you are. Hey, you know, that was the first year I started covering uh, sports in Chicago. I graduated uh, in 80, uh, December of 84. I caught a Michael Jordan game uh, in his rookie year. And then one of my first assignments, go cover the Bears at training camp. And what I remember all those years after was the the sprints after practice. You guys were taking your stuff off before practice yes. even ended, getting rid of the pads so you could make sure you could do those uh, – those guts or whatever you called them back then. Uh, and that, that had to be torture after a double day. So you had, you had 30, 32 seconds to complete the 110 yard run from the end zone to the back of the end zone. And then you had to lightly jog it back to make sure you could get back before you started your next one. And it, it was brutal. It was brutal. And it was something as soon as the whistle blew and we knew we were going to have a half second talk to before we started running it was a contest to see how quickly you could get your pads out of your pants your hand pads off you know it was it it, it was a real uh it was a factor yeah i mean practice is one thing going up against guys like ming and hall of famer dan hampton and hall of famer mike singletary every day and that defensive line that defense in general uh the sprints probably were a bit intimidating at that point when you're wiped out how many did you have to do yeah. per practice uh 10 minimum 10 10 110s we used to 10 call 110s them. in uh 10 32 seconds 
Yeah. Did you, you ever know, saw, did you ever saw, fail the task? Never. Atta boy. Never. But I did go back to my dorm room and cramp up so bad that the doctors had to run up and IV me until I was full of liquid again. <laughs> well, you know, I've I've been IV'd once and we all know what it was. Do you remember the time and place? <laughs> yes. You got a cold in Denver. <laughs> no, I was I had I, know, I had I the know. flu or something. You know, the altitude got me and uh former Bears trainer Bobby Slater hooked me up to an IV. I made it through, did the TV show and still called the game, my friend. It was three degrees above zero. No, it was That's it was bitter cold. It, it was, was it was three degrees above no. zero, and we are doing a live TV show. Yes, three above zero. That's what the temperature was. And then we are doing the live TV show outside. And, uh, you know, you are the same color <laughs> as the new fallen snow. <laughs> exactly right. All right, let's get some more from practice here in the first two days. Obviously, uh, they're just ramping up. Um, some of the injured guys ramp it up. Darnell Mooney for one, Jack Sanborn for Looks the good. other. Yeah, yeah, and and Mooney, yeah. Mooney on the side doing sprints in between some of his reps as well, getting some seven on sevens. Um, Dante Pettis on pup. That, that's essentially it. Everybody else full attendance. Everybody's getting their work in. What else yeah. caught your eye? You know what's catching my eye is athleticism on their feet of the front seven. Mm -hmm. And they have different combined packages with the defensive line that they brought in, the three agents, the guys they have with experience in the right position. And then you kind of look at the linebackers and how they're flowing accordingly. When you look at the defense right now on their feet and you look at the job requirements of shifting from one gap to the next at the snap of the ball, maybe running a sophisticated line stunt, trying to get the offensive lineman off balance. And so what little I've seen, and listen, man, I'm holding off any strong opinions till next Wednesday when they start in full pads, and then a couple days after to see how they're playing in full pads when they're fatigued a little bit. However, the athleticism of the front seven – starting with the defensive line, is something that's caught my eye as much as any segment or element on the field. All right, how about Darnell Wright? 5'8", can't miss him. He is big, and he is light on his feet, and he is in great shape. Um, You know, there's been a couple of plays where somebody's beaten him across his face, but I'll tell you, he gets right back in there and jams those big hands into the chest of the defender immediately and stuns him back. Uh, I'm excited to see what that's going to look like in pads. You know, a couple things I've taken from the offensive line. First of all, that dude is a monster. Yeah. He is a big man. When you look at him from the end zone shot from behind the offense, you can see who's the widest guy on the line. And then you look at it from the defensive perspective, from looking at him, he dwarfs whatever defensive end, defensive lineman he's playing against at the time. And uh, what he's doing, how creative his feet are, his, like I, I keep saying, his bendability, his hand strike is all good. Again, for, let's wait till the first team. This is my takeaway from that, though, Jeff. Yeah. If you look at the offensive tackle, Braxton Jones and Darnell, you got really two bookends that can be there forever. However, this year in development of the offensive line, I think the two most important positions are going to be the offensive guards. And you have Nate Davis taking a rookie in his hip pocket and kind of teach him in the little in, the intricacies of getting ready for 17 games, how you play the position, what you could do to an opponent to maybe get him off balance on a specific type of play. And then you look at Tevin Jenkins, what he can ultimately develop into at the offensive guard position, he could be really powerful. Now, if he can become that 
guy that's set in place now for the next six or seven years. And you talk about he and Braxton, how they can grow together. That's why I say the offensive guard position right now going into the season is as important as any position on this team. Well, interesting. We're going on the interior uh, because they're talking about it the same way on the defensive front uh, because the defensive tackles, you know, we talked to your good friend and former teammate Leslie Frazier on our Bears weekly show on ESPN 1000 a couple of weeks ago uh, after his Hall of Fame induction into the Black College Hall of Fame. Um and he said, hey, you know, I think it was you. You asked him, hey, if you're starting a defense from scratch, where do you start? He said, <laughs> the interior defensive line, defensive yeah. tackles to collapse that pocket, push it. And that's what we've heard from Matt Eberflus. Get the quarterback flushed to the, uh, to the edge guys so they have a shorter path to the quarterback. And so are we going to be looking at the defense the same way as you're looking at the interior guards? Yes, but, uh, you know, the, the the movement and athleticism of defensive line is always more confusing to an offensive line who knows they have a stationary target right in front of them. And if I get my hands on them, I'm going to create a stalemate or win the battle. If you can get a defensive line, like I said, is very athletic on their feet, you're going to get offensive linemen that are going to be reaching for them, getting themselves out of position, getting their head too far in front of their feet, and the, the defense will create some openings for themselves. And when you look at the, what an offensive line's going to do, it's, you know, I think we're going to see some, just some great battles up there. But if you think of the Bears when we were talking to Leslie, in 1984, they go to the NFC Championship game, get beat, and then wh- who's the first person they draft in 85? It's William Perry. So mm-hmm. you, got, you got Steve McMichael and Dan Hampton that are, you know, two all pros, you know, not pro bowlers, they're all pros, and then you bring in, a, a, a fridge so you can never have enough our bears etc podcast is brought to you by pnc official bank of the bears jeff joniak tom thayer a few more moments to break down the first couple of days of practice and look ahead i want to talk about that secondary buzzing around i i i, I spoke today about this seeing number nine out there on the practice field with no pads, and he still looks like a beast, and that is Jaquan Brisker. When you throw in Kyler Gordon, now just going to focus solely on that nickel spot and able to move and get in the way and be that irritant in one of the most important positions, obviously, in the nickel. The veteran Jalen Johnson, who's playing for something bigger as well, and not, not only as a, a winning team here, but his own contract situation down the road. Uh, and then Tyreek Stevenson, it's not too big for this rookie. He is in there, and he's got some big paws, and he's got uh, he's a gutsy player. I could tell. He's confident. Um, but Greg Stroman, a veteran, has had two <laughs> quick, great days of practice. 5'11", yeah. 180-pounder, intercepted Nathan Peterman yesterday, broke up another pass. Uh, had I think he had another breakup today. Played the final couple of games for the Bears last season against that Viking team. He had eight tackles and a pick. I remember that. But uh, a late addition last season as he was recovering from injury. Uh, that secondary has some layers to it. And what do you think? It needs layers because they have to contribute on special teams if they're a part of the layers. However, when you look at two guys, Brisker and Gordon, if you have Gordon playing one position and mastering one position, and then you have Brisker that can play at near the line of scrimmage and even deep, then you're talking about playing multiple defenses, being able to be confident in a lot of different fronts up front because you're certain about your talent behind you. All right, I'm keenly interested in the punt return game. Now, we both know 
And you've said it, you pointed it out before anybody, uh, that Dante Pettis is the cleanest hands in the punt game that you can possibly find. He's smooth as can be, outstanding at it. Uh, but you gotta you got to give an, a longer look at Valus Jones. His yep. ability to break it big, we saw what he does when he gets the ball in his hands and he has uh, space to run. He's going to run away from you. So he had two muff punts in his five punt returns last season. It came in you know, close proximity in the weeks uh, that he did do that. And that, and that yanked him from that. I, I think he worked extremely hard in this offseason. I'm told he had hundreds and hundreds of punts that he was fielding in that off period between the end of veteran minicamp and the start of training camp. Um, are you open to a second chance here for Valus Jones to try and win that job, not only as a kick returner, but as a punt returner? A hundred percent, because I don't have to teach him courage. He has all that you need. He's seen it take big hits. It's about ball security, making sure that when you're in a position where you're going to catch it, that you have that good, confident, comfortable catching position. That's first and foremost. Anything else beyond that is going to fail because if you don't catch it, you're not going to be able to return it. So I have all the faith in the world that Valus, if he has that, high level of desire and he understands the competitiveness of this football team and how it's growing. This is where he wants to be. This is why he was drafted here, but just make sure secure the catch and everything else will work out. Right now. I want to ask you about his offensive ability because everybody keeps saying, well, he's going to be a good gadget guy. And he did show that on occasion with the fly sweep. He did have a, a big play offensively last year on a 44 yard reception. Um, but if you're only going to use him as a gadget, everybody knows it when he's out there then. Do you, do you see uh, room in this receiving core now with all the new additions and the developments that we have seen here in the early stages of the 2023 Bears? Because uh, you only have so many guys in this league with game-breaking speed that can really turn a, a, a short catch into a big play. The first thing I would challenge and I would ask them to be above and beyond the call of duty is an outside blocker. If he could go down there and give the attitude of a Dennis McKinnon, oh, who Dennis yeah. McKinnon put the fear of God in defensive backfields because he was such a vicious blocker. If Valus could go out there and kind of put one or two of those on display in the preseason or early in the regular season, now they're going to be thinking about his blocking instead of his gadgetry. So show out, let him go out there. Let him have a couple of media blocks on bubble screens and stuff. And I think you'll start getting, you know, a, a different feeling for what he's capable of doing. Our Bears Etc. podcast is brought to you by United Airlines, official airlines of the Chicago Bears, and Miller Lite, the official beer of the Chicago Bears. Tastes like Miller time, Tom. Chicago. Any final thoughts before we wrap up version two? We're going to do this twice a week during uh, training camp and uh, throughout the season. So we'll have a lot uh, more discussion. But any final thoughts from what you've seen here in the first couple of days and what your hopes are for the remaining uh, practices this week? Um, no, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm here to get to next Wednesday. And I'm going to talk about the no-padded practices. And it does give you an opportunity to look at some of the new players they brought aboard. But my football is kind of on hold until next Wednesday. <laughs> so I hope you come. Can you, can you do any impressions or anything? No, can I'm you, not you know? good at that. I'm not good at that. So, no, I can't, I can't sing, I, I can't dance, and I can't do impressions. So, But <laughs> uh, I can talk football. And we've enjoyed it so far, and we'll continue to roll on. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. For Tom Thayer, I'm Jeff Jonagak. This has been Bears Etc. Thanks for joining us. 
Thank you.